0: Welcome to UpBringing. We're Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. UpBringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Today's episode is supported by Primary, a baby and children's clothing brand offering quality-made, gender-neutral basics. Mothers Christina and Galen founded Primary because they couldn't find sturdy, soft clothing without the logos, slogans, sequins and embellishments so common these days yes and as much as our kids love the bling primary's rainbow color wheel of simple basics has something for each of them we also value clothing that's ethically manufactured and Oeko-Tex standard 100 certified meaning that it's free from harmful chemicals also cool no item is more than 25 bucks sweet learn more about primary and support upbringing by visiting today's show notes or our partners page at upbringing.co now onto our conversation. Jodi Patterson is a social activist, writer, and mother of five. Her eight-year-old transgender son, Penelope, is the catalyst for her new book, A Bold World. Jodi speaks regularly about identity to a broad range of audiences, including fashion and beauty, tech, educators, and parents. Her activism work has been recognized and praised by Hillary Clinton, Glad, and Cosmo, among many others we feel so lucky to have had the chance to talk to Jodi about her beautiful memoir of family and identity. We explored the drawbacks and benefits of labels, how body and spirit influence one another, what a legacy means, and how we can all transition in a way to rise up and support not just our own children, but LGBTQ equality. Don't miss out on our convo after show, which is in the next episode available now. We'll take some time to twin talk our favorite moments and find ways to apply all we've learned from Jodi to our parenting experience. Okay, here we go. Welcome, Jodi. We're really happy you're here. Um, We have been dreaming of this conversation since we heard you speak in San Francisco a while back. I feel like Kelly, you and I sat there with goosebumps, just looking at each other with tears in our eyes yeah. when you were um, doing the <laughs> keynote address. Uh, just everything uh-huh. you said resonated so
1: much. Thank you. I mean, I, that was one of my favorite um, conferences, the Mother Conference, um, then by Mother Mag. And I was, I was nervous, actually, to give that keynote because I had presented many times before, but that particular material was, was new. Mm-hmm. It was about um, sort of reimagining yourself. Mm hmm. I remember
0: you you kind of talking about how starfish can regrow limbs and how uh, using that as a metaphor to talk about how we're all constantly becoming.
1: You guys were the first to hear that. I think I was flushing it out that (laughs) day. And uh, since then, I've done it in Lisbon and all over um, at different conferences. And it's really something I've been thinking about a lot after I wrote um, the last, I'd say, eight years or so. We're really focused on uh, my children, particularly my trans son, Penelope. And recently, I've been applying what I've learned and focusing it on myself. And so that presentation that I gave around starfishing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, starfish as a verb, was about me and my transformation, my growth. So I was, it was a special moment for me too. It was the first time that I was really center stage talking about myself, mostly. Mostly
0: putting the focus uh, mm-hmm. on your journey and so how can we how can we embrace ourselves as starfish or how can we starfish yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> right starfish verb verb yeah to um, stretch out and touch life meaning to be all things anything um, everything and also starfish meaning uh, to grow limbs to regrow limbs after they've been severed right to regrowth and imperative growth. So starfish. Um, I think that it comes naturally as kids. We're always growing. I mean, we're constantly growing. And then something happens where we are, uh, the growth is, is stunted. Um, but but in the last 10 years, eight years, two years, uh, I've been put to the test. I think we need to look at the hard things. Most of the hard things are our blind spots, things that really feel awkward. And difficult that make you want to sleep rather than do them, you know, (laughs) those are our blind spots. And um, if we can go toward the blind spot, we will inevitably grow because those are the areas that we don't have much reference to and don't have um, knowledge of and don't have a best practice yet.
0: But that Um, still influence us so much.
1: Yeah, they're just places where we've shut off probably mm-hmm. or places where we've never even um, thought to go and so just in the fact that we are we are unveiling the blind spot means there's new there's new ter- new territory you know it's well, like yeah just the newness of it is for me um, the most like thrilling part of it well and that's the bold world
0: you know we felt
1: that <laughs> yeah. that
0: theme running through your memoir um, we were wondering if you could start off the conversation by reading an excerpt. Just read the whole thing right now. We can just turn this episode into an audio book. The Bold World on, on audio. Yeah.
1: You know, so I wrote The Bold World in, you know, over the course of several years. And so much of it is, I mean, it's also personal. It's a memoir. And it's really the the history of my family. And in many sense, the history of America. Um, and so I sometimes I just open it up and pick a page. <laughs> and then I sit there and dwell on that. And then I'll use that for whatever uh, thing I'm doing that day. But there's, so I'm going to do the same thing. I'm just going to kind of open up and see what I land on. Great. Uh, okay. This is one of my favorite chapters. This chapter is called this body, this boy, this magic. Every household has a belief system. Every mama sets a tone with her kids, whether she wants to or not intentionally or otherwise We teach our children values, a certain code of ethics that that remains with them throughout their lives. We spend years trying to sort out what we believe in. Then we share those beliefs with our children, infusing them with our ideas of right and wrong. At the top of my list was knowing that everything good, everything real and true, comes from deep inside, beneath the surface. The culture I was now interested in cultivating with my kids was one of depth and of purpose of training the mind to listen to what it really has to say. If there's one thing I've learned over the years through relationships, career experiences, and the many years I've spent reconsidering myself, it's that we are who we know ourselves to be, not how others perceive us. We are strong, we are wise, we are capable, regardless of what people see or assume when they look at us. Not the most revelatory of messages I know, but one that I've stumbled over and kept coming back to a message that has kept me going time and time again. And so it became my mission to steadily undo all the stereotypes we've learned about the body, all the stories that tell us who we're supposed to be and what we're expected to do. We are not a shy family. I often cook in my underwear, as my mother did when I was growing up. And the kids regularly hang around the house in little more than their boxers all day, reading books, doing homework, cleaning up, doing chores. More and more, I encouraged the body to be exposed. I wanted to remove the mystery, put the body out into the open so we could see it for what it is. A house of endless possibilities, varied and unique, not no two ever exactly the same. I wanted to dismantle any notions of all of any ideal body. I wanted to dismantle any notions of an ideal body and to show my kids that what's most important is that it is theirs admire and adorn, and perhaps contemplate, but never, ever to compare.
0: Oh, How's that? Thank you.
1: <laughs> totally
0: crying. Oh, thank you. I'm just, I mean, what you're saying is just incredible on so many levels, but I also just keep thinking about this legacy that you're creating and continuing for your kids to have. I mean, you've created something tangible and magical that they can hold and they can read. They can flip to that page someday, yeah. at any page, and get a piece of you and understand you and their history and themselves um, and their childhoods in a different way. It's just, it's such a gift.
1: It's really, I think when I think about it that way, it, um, I think about it that way now that I've written it, that I, I'm so happy that I was able to go back in, in time, back past multiple generations and time zones and uh, you know different states and states of mind even, and really compile memory and put it down into a book. Because I think we don't do that enough. Number one, we don't really sit and ponder. We are, are so busy, right? Hours on our screens and hours in transit and hours stressing. But if we sit and ponder and think about what has happened, and then if we write it down, and then if we go through the process of like pulling up old letters and journals, it just brings, um, it. it connect- well, for me, it, it allowed me to connect the dots, mm-hmm. right? All of the different things that have happened over time are connected in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And we don't see those connections until we do the work. Um, the connection that I saw was gender, race, xenophobia. I mean, all of the oppressives in our society, mm-hmm. any, any, uh, oppos- any oppression to me feels and looks very similar. So when you're talking about genderism or sexism or xenophobia or racism or classism, although they are unique in certain ways, the outcome is often the same and the, the noose around the neck feels just as deadly. And that was what I was able to do when I was uh, going back and compiling all of this. And so I know it's heavy <laughs> material for kids. Um, I wasn't really thinking that my kids would see it today because <laughs> they're still young kids. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I am glad that they will have it for themselves at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're living it today through you in an age-appropriate way. You know, this isn't, you wrote this experience you're having, not something that just happened, you know.
1: Totally, totally, yeah. Um, lived completely.
0: Yeah, and with with the oppression, you know, the flip side of that, I don't know if it's freedom or what it is, but I think of the word activism mm-hmm. and the your memoir talks about this inspiring legacy of activism in your family. You know, they marched for civil rights. They broke down walls in the business world. They fought for racial equality. And how do you see yourself as part of that legacy of activism?
1: Well, you know, I didn't see myself really connected or not connected. I just never thought about it much. I mean, I knew who my grandmother was. She was an avid um, and active civil rights leader, it was jailed dozens of times, you know, um, and sued school boards and school, sued hospitals um, for desegregation and she won. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew her, I was close with her, but I didn't really connect it to myself. And I knew my father was the first um, person to have a brokerage firm on Wall Street specifically for Black folks. I knew that. I knew my uncle was Gil Scott Heron who wrote The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, the musician. Um, and, but I never connected them to myself in terms of what I was going to do towards activism and it wasn't until I was really finding my way and the cliche is true you know at a certain point you will find your way and then you will everything will align and you will go forth with passion and with gusto and I think it was when Penelope uh, confided in me that he is is a boy and when Mm -hmm. I understood him to be trans and there was a moment when I just got almost knocked down with this understand, knocked over with this understanding that if I didn't point everything towards protecting Penelope, then not only would he not survive, I wouldn't survive, and the family wouldn't survive. And so that was my first real personal moment with activism doing for uh, someone else Mm -hmm. um, in the name of, of right, you know, and you so were I, you,
0: it was more that you were called to it than you saw yourself, you know, intentionally fitting into this family of activism.
1: Absolutely. Just it smacked me in my face. It was like nothing else I could have done. I, mm-hmm. I was I was not going to see Penelope shrivel up. And and so I was yeah I was like yep I'm here with you 100% babe 100%.
0: Yeah. Well I think it's so interesting too that I think as parents we think that we are the the activists and the leaders of our families and that that's how our kids learn how to become activists. And from what we've read your son Penelope from an early age was a disruptor was an activist for himself. <laughs> and totally. we like we like to see our kids as little activists in a way, you know, fighting for their rights, what they believe, what their spirits demand. And it seems like Penelope called you to become an activist alongside him in that way.
1: Yeah, it's like you have these kids, and I have five, and so I have, you know, I know that they're different. And Penelope was like such a disruptor. Penelope never wanted to get hairbrush or never wanted to change diaper, never wanted to dress in clothing, knocked his brother down, knocked friend down. And I'm thinking at the time, I thought Penelope was a girl, you know, who is this? Why is this girl so, so. So hard, so difficult, so in always protests, right? <laughs> Protesting everything. I think Penelope's first word was no, mm-hmm. um, and I thought this is really putting a monkey wrench into my system. <laughs> because you know we we have like schedules to keep, and Penelope was always holding up the show. But when I put it in perspective now, when I put gender in perspective, and when I put my kids in perspective, I see Penel as uh, someone who doesn't who has not gone along with the status quo, someone who has changed the course, someone who has enlightened, someone who brings a deeper sense of equality to the conversation. And I don't think because he was trying to, he was trying to be a rebel rouser. I don't think that was his intention, you know? I think it was just what was in his bones. And so I watched Mm -hmm. him like just doing him. Like, you know how we say, do you? This kid was totally doing him. you can't, you know, you really, at a cer- it's evil at, at a certain point if you don't acknowledge how beautiful that is to me. I mean, it, people have always said, just be a stern parent and she will follow along. You know, eventually she'll get it together. Mm. But you try that over and over again and you realize it's just breaking the kid's spirit more so yeah. than developing them. Yeah.
0: Well, I think the most respectful thing that you can do and say is, is, you know, your body and spirit better than I do mm-hmm. to your kid like that is like the ultimate. Mm-hmm. and you That's what you did. Can you tell us a little bit about that moment when Penelope talked to you and kind of that turning point for you when yeah. things changed?
1: Gosh, it's like another world from here today because I remember being so confused um, and it was about uh, eight years ago. So Penelope was about to turn three. And I was still unclear about Penelope's identity. I just assumed girl, you know, came out. Doctor said, you have a girl. Body looked like female anatomy. And so we were raising this girl. And this one particular summer day, Penelope was so uh, frustrated, knocking brother down, knocking blocks over, just screaming. And I pulled Penelope off the, off the floor and swept up us both into his, into her bedroom at the time, I was thinking her, and we sat cross-legged on the floor. And I just said, what is wrong, baby? Why are you so angry all the time? You know, why? And it was really the first time I had asked the question up until that point, I was trying to fix things. And so when I asked, why are you so angry? Penelope's eyes just filled up with tears and this look of sort of part anguish, but part thank you for asking. Penelope. Relief. Yeah, total relief. Penelope said, well, um, oh, mama, because everyone thinks I'm a girl and I'm not. And so I was trying to quickly, you know, throw that, bounce that statement around in my head and find something supportive, right? Find something that matched. Mm-hmm. And so as a person from the 70s, I said, oh, sure. Like, however you feel is cool. Like, if you feel like a boy and you want to act like your brothers, go ahead. Because I thought maybe... Uh, maybe Penelope was a tomboy. Maybe Penelope was a a feminist, right? Maybe Penelope was recognizing uh, sexism and wants to be tough. And so Mm -hmm. I said, you know, be tough, act like your brothers. And Penelope really quickly looked at me and responded and said, no, mama, I don't feel like a boy. I am a boy. And so in that moment, it was like I knew that Penelope was talking a different language than I was. Penelope was talking about being, not expression, not feeling, but absolutely being from the brain onward. And so in that moment, I was, I was so totally, utterly stopped in my tracks. I didn't have much more to say. And I just listened. Um, and he said some things that were really, you know, painful. He said, I, I love you, but I don't want to be you. Yeah. I mean, this kid is like three years old. I love you. I don't want to be. I want to be Papa. I want a doctor to make me a peanut, Mama. And he said, "I don't want tomorrow to come because tomorrow I'm going to look like you." Mm-hmm. So I thought, still, maybe I, I. 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 I thought maybe I had failed to raise a proud daughter, and so I beat myself up in that moment for dropping the ball on feminism. <laughs> I'm laughing now and I think about it, but, you know, it was one of those moments where you go, oh shit, I forgot to tell her about Shirley Chisholm and Billie Jean King uh-huh. and Nina Simone. <laughs> Your little three-year-old. Yeah, you know, but, but, you know, I, but honestly, that was when my mom, my mom ra- raised us as feminists, not, not knowing the word feminism, but understanding it through the stories of other women. Mm-hmm. And so I knew it from growing up and I thought, Maybe I was too busy to teach it to Penelope. And I thought Penelope was rejecting womanhood. But as I I kept that secret to myself for a while, what Penelope had revealed to me, I kept it between the two of us. And I just investigated it and read about it. Just researched, really. Looked Mm -hmm. for anything. Within a year, all I kept coming up with that made sense was transgender. That Penelope is talking about himself from his most intellectual place, his most spiritual place, so his mind and his spirit, right? And it didn't, it took me a year, but after that year, I, I was, I was back to being, you know, mama bear, but mm. it was a, it was a moment of uh, a lot of sadness, I think, a lot of sadness.
0: We talk a lot about <clears throat> snapshots of our, our kids, you know, or scripts and narratives of our families and I can't imagine that idea of having your script flipped to such an extent, and your narrative (laughs) torn up in front of you. Yes, (laughs) torn up in front of you, like, and to see, you know, that there that Penelope's deepest self was something that he was coming to understand and to grow into, and that you needed to come into understanding and grow through too. You know, Um, exactly.
1: Really, like it was almost embarrassing in that moment because he he was speaking about himself so clearly, um, and from such a deep, honest point, and I felt really late, you know, late to the party. And I, and as a mom or as a parent, you're you try to be multiple steps ahead of your kids. Usually, we are because experience has given us that that insight, that hindsight. But I mm-hmm. in this moment was like way beyond behind my kid. Um, Penelope was so clear with himself, and he use that moment so beautifully to just say it. I mean, I still today am impressed with how, how clearly he conveyed it. He never stopped until I really got it. Until I st- He kept talking and kept correcting me until I stopped talking and just listened, <laughs> you know, because I kept <laughs> trying that. to put my two cents in. And he's, and he's like, no, mom, it's not that. I don't, I, I'm not a girl. I am a boy. Very emphatic.
0: Well, and so that that kind of leads me into this idea of of labels, where he was relabeling himself. Um, yeah. Kelsey and I talk about labels a lot because we are very we're wary of them and always talk about being very conscious of them because they can do so much harm. They can really limit. Um, but when we were, we're reading your book, you kind of brought out this idea of labels leading to fluidity, leading to a greater acceptance. That there's a yeah. real kind of. Um, like, a, how do you reconcile yeah. how a label can uh, in some ways free you and in other ways totally hold you back
1: and I still um I go back and forth, I vacillate all the time on this. Yeah. I was just writing about it like in my the notes paradox. On the, yeah, there's a paradox there because so uh, I was writing that for a long time i was um I kind of had just to go back to this idea of like rewording and relabeling. I have been called bitch so many times, right? Like, you're such a bitch. You're acting like a bitch. Um, and I thought at one point, whatever, I am a bitch. Just deal with it, right? So I was like, okay, bitch just means a woman who says no, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, take it or leave it. I'm a bitch. So you took ownership of it. I took ownership of it. But then I started ingesting it. And I, then I went to the other side of, the, of feeling like, wait a minute, hold up. I'm actually not a bitch. I'm actually just... Uh, I have dominant ways you' I have, mm-hmm. <laughs> right I have a clear purpose, I have a vision that's not that's not bitch that's only bitch because it's in the form of a female and so people are are calling me bitch, which is a nasty word, but I'm actually like I like the word leader of the family I like the word you know strong female and so then I decided to reject the word bitch and I started calling myself king mm-hmm. <laughs> and my <laughs> Kids were like, it's a little too far, mom. You know, king is for boys and queen is for girls. You're, maybe you want to be queen. And I said, no, I'm king. Mm-hmm. King, not for like territory or people, but king of myself. I control this body and this person. I'm king. And they have to sit with that for a while. And they have to ingest that because I don't want to ingest bitch anymore. And I want, sure. my. you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that idea, it sounds like what you're saying is that labels
0: hold power the best kind of power when we are labeling ourselves Perfect. and and that we shouldn't be labeling other people. Everyone is, is themselves to label, right? Yeah. Labels yeah. are limiting when you're extending them to other people because that's, Their not, judgments. that's not your job. It's just a judgment, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. And I, yes, exactly. And I, and I uh found that with Penelope. So we in the house, Penelope's dad was not comfortable using the word transgender. He said, it's just another label for you know, for a kid who's already black, which is a label, right? And already he's mixed. So he's Joe, Joe which is uh, Pinnell's father, is um, white and black. His dad's from Africa. His mom's from Canada. And when he would be in New in in America, they would call him the N word. And when he'd be in Ghana, they'd call him white boy. <laughs> so he mm-hmm. said, "Why on earth would we ever want to put another label on our children? Like there are just so many labels." And I understood that, and it was very compelling, but I also felt, Penelope has said, I am transgender. Penelope watched a video of um, Jazz Jennings, who's, who the t- at the time was one of the youngest outspoken trans uh, advocates and is a trans girl herself. And so when Penelope was watching Jazz, Penelope looked at the screen and said, mama, that's, I'm, I'm trans, like, like Jazz. Uh. And so Penelope used the term, I felt very comfortable. I don't see it as a negative. It's like saying I am beautiful. I mean, I don't find it as a—it's a, not a curse word. It's not a negative word. Mm-hmm. And so I said it. I mean, I was like screaming it. I would say at the dinner table like ten times. Just <laughs> well, there's such the a time. power
0: in that recognition when yeah. you saw that, just being like, "That's me." Well, and self-identified labeling right? Right. in that, exactly. yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering when can gender be obsolete, can. <laughs> is that a crazy question? When can we not have to label genders and we can just be us? And that be enough.
1: I've been playing around with that. that. I think I said that first um, on the stage in Munich. And I said, you know, gender is obsolete. And I let it sit there again. Um, So when I, when I, there are moments. I mean, I go to sleep at night when I'm saying my prayers. I'm not feeling male or female. You know, I'm not feeling any particular physical form. I'm just wondering, am I capable of doing the things tomorrow that my kids need, that I need, right, mm-hmm. that the world needs? And so I think in moments that we are genderless in, the, in those moments, when we're really just in our heart, in our minds, um, so that's like an abstract moment, right, because that's, you're lying in bed, there's nothing happening around you, no outside forces. <laughs> but even in, in places where we're interacting with people, I mean, in certain languages, we don't even have gender pronouns. We don't gender everything in some languages. So in the African language of Twi, which is where um, part of the family is from, Ghana, they don't have gender pronouns. So there are moments when gender has no relevance. And if we change our language, if we learn a new language, literally and proverbially, we can get past the notion that everything has to be seen through gender, the lens of gender. I just don't believe it. First of all, I think gender is rigged. Mm-hmm. I think the <laughs> From whole the thing, beginning. You know, like first up, it's rigged. So I'm not. There's not going to be much success if we don't dissect it, right? Because it's, why, it's, why it's, do we
0: want to buy into a rigged system?
1: Yeah, and it's not mm-hmm. really even for. It um, it 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 sets up defeat for many of us, um, and it sets up confusion for many of us. I when I realized that Pinnell was trans, and I tried to readjust myself. The bias that you realize you yourself hold, it's enormous. Everything we do, you know, the pink toothbrush, the butterflies on the girl diapers, the superheroes on the boy diapers, you know, the nice voice and sing-songy voice to our girls and the stern, you know, I mean, business voice to the boys. It just becomes like a really bad uh, (laughs) nightmare or fairy tale that does not add up.
0: Well, and you saw that through Penelope's eyes. And like, once you see it, you can't unsee it.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's it's so true. But I I think, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, I was was watching Penelope reject all of that. Thank gosh, because I was oblivious to it. And Penelope was right on on time.
0: Yeah. Kelty and I talk a lot about the visible versus the invisible and how our culture pays so much attention to the visible things. And there's so much left beneath the surface and the invisible world that matters so much. And I think labels are a great visible way to be making change um, mm-hmm. and and moving um, this forward. But some invisible ways, you know, you talked in your book about the idea of body versus spirit or identity. And how do you separate those two things? We see a body and we assign a gender to it. That's the, the visible kind of protocol we do but what about the spirit and the identity being tied to gender and tell us a little bit about that what are your thoughts on that
1: so I get really metaphysical and and you know good I, I twist and turn around this topic because so I, when I would see Penelope I would look at Penelope and I would say this is my Penelope from birth to now he, he's 11 years old The spirit hasn't changed. I've never said, well, the girl Penelope must die so that the boy Penelope can live. I've never had that sort of sever. And I just always, for me, it was really the motherly instinct that I had that Penelope must be right. Penelope must be right. And everything around it can be altered. But we can't alter the kid. We just cannot ask for a person to alter who they are at their core. So when I started thinking about options, one option was okay, force Penelope to be what he says he is not or change the clothing, change the haircut, change the language, change my vocal tones. Yeah, I said option I the option I took was change the stuff around. The stuff, the physical stuff means very little to me at this point. So form follows function how we are from the inside will determine how the outside performs right so whether it's a short little you know mohawk that penelope has now versus this big huge blonde curly afro and pom poms ponytails those things you know are cute but they are not the core of penelope and penelope's spirit is the only thing that is preserved in this time and the only thing that i want to maintain Penelope might want to grow his hair long one day. Penelope might want to wear a skirt one day. Who knows, right? I, it, those things are very uh, flexible. But what we really have to protect is the spirit. Those are the that is the core. And so I watched Penelope's spirit fade and pull back and get dark when I was not tuned in. Mm-hmm. And that, when you watch, you know, your kid pull away from you and hide and physically hide his body and shrink and and bite his nails until they were bloody and every night there were reoccurring nightmares and screams. When you watch that happen uh, you, I became fiercely protective of my kid and I don't really care at this point uh, about the outside um, stuff and I only care about Penelope's spirit it almost slipped away and it is fully back now <laughs> he is he is a, he is a, you know the most talkative bubbly joyous productive successful helpful kid I know
0: well like you said like you wrote you nurtured the roots because if you don't nurture the roots nothing will grow yeah
1: you know? yeah you had to and I got that from from my southern upbringing you know I have family in the south and they would my grandmother would always say like every night before you go to bed brush your hair a hundred times you know hair in my community is is big and for me and my family it was about love like how you tend to yourself and so my grandmother would say start from the roots always brush the roots to the tip because if you don't nurture the roots nothing will grow and she was talking about hair but she was definitely talking about more than hair and luckily I remembered I went back to that with Penelope you know it's it's the inside, it's all, the work is from the inside out, always.
0: It's it's funny root. because when we read that, we were thinking back to our great aunt who had, who taught us how to water plants. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we were totally thinking of it from like a, a plant. A and, horticulture okay. standpoint. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Wait,
1: FYI, this? I cannot grow a plant to save my life.
0: <laughs> you can grow kids really fucking <laughs> yeah, well, Jody. Yeah. so... I think you're good to go. You're forgiven. Um, But that idea of nurturing, like how did that nurturing take place? How were you nurturing Penelope's roots? One thing you wrote about was the lab that you have in your house. Uh, And we just loved that idea Mm -hmm. that, um, and, you know, I think in our culture, we have this idea in our families that we should all get along, but that we should all know who we are and how we feel um, you know, join together, be the like same form, basically. Yeah, kind and, of be a unit. Yeah. But we like how you talked about how your family lab was something that mm-hmm. values the idea of non-conforming as a family, that and that you're all ever evolving, unique parts of a whole.
1: Yeah. Can you tell well, us a you. little about the lab? Sure. I mean, the lab came from again, from, like, necessity. So I, once I realized and understood Penelope to be trans, I wanted the entire world, right, to understand trans and to believe in it and to support it as I do. But that's not the case. So not even in my own family. So I have, I had moments when my kids were really discussing it back and forth and not agreeing. So I have a science kid who sees the world through very scientific, um, through a very scientific lens and then I had Penelope who really sees life through an experiential way and they were going head to head and so I started this process where we would sit down everyone on the floor uh (laughs) cross-legged this is my style and we'd lab it out so in the lab you can bring up any topic you want religion politics you know who sits in the front seat of the car you know smack talk on the basketball court, sometimes gender, and you can, everybody gets their chance to talk and you have to, you speak as long as you want. The rules are you can't interrupt and then you can get your chance. So it's a way of kind of putting big topics on the table and learning um, respect. So Penelope, or Cassius, who's the science kid, he'll say, yeah, I mean, I, I respect you, Penelope, and I'll always use the right pronouns, but scientifically speaking, you're a girl, like your body is physiologically female. And we have to speak in science language. And then Penelope will say, dude, I'm not science. I'm just the way God made me. And then Cassius, when he gets his turn, he'll say, yeah, well, I don't really believe in God either. God's not proven. So they go back and forth about, you know, like these tough topics, religion and, and gender, um, faith. And they learn that it is quite probable that we will not agree, even within families. And each person has their own perspective and their own truth. And we listen and we chop it up and we, you know, can go back and forth, but there is some decorum around it. And then in the end, I tell you, like, sometimes it starts off heated by 30, 40 minutes. The kids are like, Okay cool, can we just go play some basketball? <laughs> you know the I mean?
0: connection was made that that disconnect that they engaged with became connection
1: totally and the and the difference that they have that they probably still hold is less relevant in terms of how they interact, so they have different perspectives, yet and still we live together, we eat together, we share bathrooms, we play basketball together and monopoly, like we still can live and so I look at that and I think this whole to do about bathrooms and how do trans people integrate into society. It is just fear-based because I do it in my house. We don't agree on the topic of gender, yet we live together mm-hmm. and we respect each other. So I know for sure. A, a successful incubator. Yeah. Totally. What just an amazing
0: like, lesson in tolerance building totally. in, from the home out.
1: out and watch us. <laughs> yeah, just
0: the, developing the art of debating, discussing, disagreeing. Um, yeah. I love that you wrote um, I love that you wrote that you can be right or you can be with the ones you love.
1: <laughs> that is my- so fucking true. <laughs> so guess who told me that? I think it was my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of the things And a brill. Yeah, you know, so real. And I just remember so many times that I was trying to beat my point across. And in the process, I was pushing the people away that I wanted to be around. And so it's like not so much about right or wrong; that's subjective. But it's more about express. You gotta express yourself. You gotta be heard. You have gotta put your truth on the table, and then the other person has to do the same over and over again, a million times, and then we have to eat together. Yeah. well, <laughs> we have to break bread.
0: We we were talking with a friend recently about this, and I think that people do believe that there is a right and wrong, mm-hmm. and that that a right is a truth and it's such a a struggle to reroute your your understanding that that truth is a personal thing and that everyone has their own personal truth you know it's
1: really hard because especially when you see such negative behavior um and behavior that can turn deadly and i i don't uh, it's it's not always easy to understand that truth is personal But what I try to express to my kids is when we see something that does not feel good to us, we should stand up for it. And if someone is standing up and raising their hand and saying, this doesn't feel right, and we are not standing up, then we just have to listen to them. Mm Because, you know, what is discomfort for some and what is wrong for some might not be even on our radar, but we, we owe it to folks to to listen. And so I know it's really hard to not look at the current backdrop and the current politics and say it is absolutely wrong. And, you know, but where does that get us when we just point the finger at right and wrong? I think we need more sort of conversations around functioning together, living together, breaking Mm. bread together.
0: But I think that... Yeah. But I think those conversations, like you said, have to begin in a safe place with people you love where you have buy-in and incentive. I have to share this bathroom with this person. So I had better, (laughs) despite our, you know, disagreeing opinions, find a way to connect with Mm -hmm. them and prioritize our relationship despite those opinions. And and practicing holding space for starting with people you care about to disagree with you. And then maybe that can build outward, right? Because we think about the outside world with this, where you've had to To be the bold world for you has been beginning in just with your relationship with yourself and your relationship with Penelope. And then that is, you know, spread out to your family, your house, and then your greater family. And then that spread to your community and to the outside world. And it's so much harder, I would imagine, to be, you know, um, kind of approaching it with that same, with that heart and that patience and that compassion to other people when there's hatred and ignorance that you don't share a bathroom with.
1: Well, two things. One, I just walk away if I feel someone is really dangerous. Yeah. Like I've gotten very good at that. Like, okay, cool, move away quickly. Like I stare people in the eye when I <laughs> talk talk to them about my family being an LGBT queer family, and if they look like they are at any point disapproving or if they show any kind of disgust, I'm quick to move away. I don't have any uh, need to be in a dangerous situation. So that's one thing. I I move quickly when I feel like it is not. Uh, safe for my family but i also think that you know i was reading this book called palaces for the people and it's about like social infrastructure how the, the spaces that allow us to come together and break down over or break bread you know essentially so we can't always be talking politics like at some point we have to um, sit down and read a book to get like libraries are great places for that. Everyone comes for this point of being more knowledgeable, right? So you've got homeless people, wealthy people, young and old, gay, and straight, all nationalities, all levels of education coming to libraries, public libraries um, mm-hmm. to learn. And so I was thinking about the proverbial library, like how do we create spaces, public spaces, mm-hmm. spaces in our home, spaces in our, offices that allow people to just need to be there so in my house the kitchen right like people need to be in my kitchen so that's where we all come together and we have a good laugh no matter what kind of shit the the day unfolded the kitchen is a good place to be and i think if we have more of those places in public like in communities we would be better off
0: when you talk about kind of dismantling what gender Mm -hmm that has to be connecting though to people who look disapproving and who are ignorant and how how do we get through to those people and find a way to connect to those people when when it's not a safety issue that makes total and, sense and then how do we just let it go when when yeah. they're not getting it and trust and have yeah. compassion for them i think you know one of our one of our close friends is supporting her 7 year old son who is gender nonconforming and she struggles so much with outside world and how to work with them because one second it feels really important to explain and defend not just for her son but for her belief in equality and then it's exhausting and sometimes you just like people get on board I can't care about you too I just need to be with my family
1: (laughs) totally I I think stories um more so than statistics um move the dial and you know I think I mean the statistics are horrible you know like for trans teens, more than 50% of them attempt suicide. And that's because we're not accepting them, right? It's just out of being rejected, over 50% of trans teenagers attempt suicide. So those numbers are like staggering. It's also staggering that we're talking about millions of people, like the trans community. We're not talking one or two folks. And I mean, that would be valid too, but we're not. We're talking about a few million, maybe two that are, ri- that are out. Right? And then more others that are not out. So the numbers are in the low to mid-millions. And so we're talking about a real number, a substantial number, that if those folks are disenfranchised and not accepted, I mean, we're going to feel it everywhere. So, you know, if, if, if a few million Americans are disenfranchised and um, in really bad situations, all of America will feel it. And so I think we've got to share stories because the numbers aren't getting the message across, you know, but if the more we talk about, uh, ourselves and the more we share our personal, uh, journeys, um, I think we will understand it more. That's how I, that's how I got to understand Penelope just by being around him. Right. Right. And so I know trans differently because I have a a kid who's trans. Um, and so I'm hoping that other folks will like either find new friends, like expand your friend group Get some uh, friends that don't look like you, don't have the same experience as you, and maybe your views will change because of that.
0: Here, we were going to ask how can we be allies to the transgender community? How can we all be working? Those are great things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how can well, we be dismantling the, these thought patterns within our homes with our kids, too?
1: Yeah. That's a great question. So we need to um, find organizations that are supporting. Uh, the trans experience in the trans community because that's a really underserved community. I mean, all of the LGBT community is up against the wall, but in particular, black trans women and particular intersex people, folks, and in particular, even bisexual people. Some of these, you know, communities are so, um, so um, mysterious to the general population that they have the least amount of protections, right? And so I think it's important for us to find organizations that support trans um, people and dismantle transphobia. So if you go into your local, you know, if you Google your local communities, um, you can find organizations. The Human Rights Campaign, HRC, is our largest in America. Um, And then another organization called uh, the Ackerman Institute's Gender and Family Project these are two great organizations that um, help us understand the diversity of gender, help us protect our children, and help us build communities that understand what, what what this is all about. So I think one go and find organizations, HRC or Gender and Family Project, and then I think we have to, in our own homes, change the stories. I <laughs> I I remix story time. I remix the classic. Uh, bedtime stories and you know my princesses have cornrows and they're dark black girls um my um kings have afros right <laughs> and, uh, goldie uh, rapunzel has cornrows that go all the way down. i make them however i want to make the stories and i definitely add in um people stories about people not boys and girls but humans and some humans fly and you know I I imagine the world in the most wide sense and I do that in the fairy tales that I um, do at night and I think we can do that I think we can tell the story differently at home to our kids in a really fun way that's so funny (laughs) Kelty and
0: I were just was it this morning or yesterday yesterday Yesterday. I lose track of time we were listening to these terrible nursery stories in the car with the kids it's yeah. like filling. It's like Snow White, Rapunzel, <laughs> and it's like <laughs> a, a charming we don't British do, voice. We don't do the Disney thing. They don't have any of that. Yeah. But yeah. you know, but we just are looking for stories on audiobook that they it's can just hear. As bad. all the Disney stuff is just riffing off these old tales, traditional tropes. Traditional, yeah, yeah. all these traditional tropes, and we're like, we need a fairy tale book. With yeah. transgender, gay people, um, women as the as the lead, saving the men. Like Everyone all of wearing these. whatever the fuck they <laughs> want <laughs> to. Race, everything like. And what, how is that the, not a thing? Like, rewrite the fairy tale narrative so that we can bring something into our homes where we're not having to rewrite it as we're saying it. My daughter's always like, "Mom, that's not what's on Those the page." Those aren't the words. No, no, Those no, aren't no. the words. Yeah. yeah.
1: And you know the thing is, it's like, I, I realized in these fairy tales, all the moms have to die for the. Mm-hmm. They daughters. either die or they're
0: evil. They're the evil stepmother.
1: They, they always need to be moved out of the way so the daughter can come up. There's only room for this one female, right? And I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And then I started dissecting all of them on race, on gender, on class. They're all such bullshit. And it's like, you know, but, but story time is an important part of the night because okay. it helps the kids go to sleep and it helps them to sort of set their barometer for for how they fall asleep and how they wake up in the morning and so i started using that time to like you know point in the direction that i wanted us to be pointed pointing towards which is a place where like you know we're not transphobic we're not sexist we're not racist and so i say remix the stories remix them yeah. in your own home yeah
0: okay we always It's really hard, Um, hard. but it's exciting. Kelsey and I are getting really excited. We have, we work with an amazing artist and we're like, dude, we're doing this. We are rewriting. And just the lessons. It's like, and the bad person died in the end and and they ended up, and I'm like, (laughs) what was the lesson learned here? And now like our... My daughter will be like, the bad person, what, what was his upbringing like? What was he going oh, through, What mom? was he going through? Like, we need to have compassion and empathy and try and understand mm-hmm. the other side. Like, all of these, I feel like, you know, things work against what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, all, right. it's
0: all black and white, everything. Yeah. Good and bad. They, and I
1: agree. They unravel what we're trying to do. But your book raveled it in the right way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Re-weaving. just put it that way. Yes. <laughs> everything that's important. You're
0: weaving us in the right direction. Um, this has been amazing, Jody.
1: I really appreciate you bringing me on. I remember when we met um, in San Francisco and, you know, I never know how my story is going to tra- translate. And I never know if like race is going to be a barrier or if regionality is going to be a barrier, like Southern folks versus Northern folks. And I never know how I'm going to, how the audience is going to read me. And so just when you both came up to me and, And even in this conversation, I just know that when we continue to talk, right, and just say it like it is, and we lab it out, I know it gets better. And so I just want to say thank you for having me on, and thanks for labbing it out with me. Thank you. Um, We always
0: wrap up our our talks with asking one question that you feel we (laughs) should all ask ourselves more often, just off the top of your head.
1: Ooh. Um... What I do ask myself, and this is honest, in, in, at night, I just ask myself, am I capable? Um, am I capable of doing what it takes for my kids tomorrow? And I think as much as I talk about women doing for themselves, I continuously come back to parenting. I think I'm just, um, I think parenting for me means growing and, and leading. And so I'm always asking myself, am I capable of what it takes to grow this family? Um, So that's, you know, that might not be for anyone else, but that's what I go back to. That's the one question that I still, I I, I have not had a definitive answer on, and so I ask myself that every night, am I capable enough to lead this family? Thank you. Yeah, thanks.
0: Um, Could you read us one final excerpt? one more random flip through
1: i would love to okay
0: let's
1: see okay so this is from the loss and the gain chapter 22. i've inherited a legacy of activism if not me then who was one of my grandmother's favorite responses whenever she was asked why such a nice pretty lady who would choose to protest and advocate and be jailed time and time again. She was relentlessly visible in her activism, never thinking to hold her tongue, even when she knew her life and the stability of her family might depend on it. When Gloria's daughters, my Aunt Lerma and my mom came of age, they linked arm in arm and marched with their mother. Gloria was arrested more than 25 times. Lerma, an honor student, Was jailed more than a dozen times before she turned 13. And my own mother, right before leaving to study at Bennett College, did her part, participating in sit-ins and marches. Marching was their rite of passage. Gloria recognized very deeply that a new world order, for her and for her children, was one worth fighting for. This was the responsibility left to me, to make this world better. There is still so much left to do. And I want to do it in the most thoughtful way, in a way that makes my children proud of me and of their lineage and shows them in real time what the Patterson, Becker, Garte clan stands for. I want more than gold medals and pedestal visibility. What I want really is to change the paradigm, to do that work, to blow wide open the current narrow definition of gender. I knew I had to do more than just recite numbers and repeat statistics. People don't feel in numbers. We're not moved by politics. We respond to stories. I know I do, it was watching Penelope day in and day out and being drawn to him, compelled by his narrative that shifts my mind to a new way of thinking. The mind is malleable. We're hardwired to look for connections and similarities and even oddities in our lives and to shape and reshape stories around them, stories that make the world more united. Narratives over data points, empathy over fear.
0: Visit JodiePatterson.com to learn more about Jodi, her story, and the bold world, now available through any bookseller. Find her on Instagram at Jodi Patterson to follow her inspiring activism and stay up to date on events and speaking engagements. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on our conversation with Jodi. So please DM, call, email, or contact us through our website, upbringing.co, and rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, we would love that. Um, And lastly, our affirmation to you. You are doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm. We are so proud of you. And we're right here with you, taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. So thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time.